Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word eternally true. Uh, now you've just, just a, you know, alert your minds here. I know I, I talked to some of you recently, you know, I've, as the worship service goes through, I always know what's coming. The whole worship service comes from the sermon. The sermon gets done first and then everything from the worship service gets filled out from what's in the, the sermon. So the songs come from the sermon, the call to worship comes from the sermon, everything, the, the declaration of the gospel, the, so all that. And so you just heard uh, uh, Bob read for us all these passages that dealt with king and kingdom and David. Okay, so that's why all those passages were selected. So just keep that in mind as we're going through these 17 verses here. Uh, king and kingdom and David. Uh, this is God's word eternally true. Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, and whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Iliad, Iliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that's printed for us uh, in our bulletins and up here, the word of God. Let's pray. Uh, we're in these uh, sermons now, of course, about uh, Christmas. And so we've uh, jumped into Matthew and we'll be in, in Matthew um, through uh, Christmas Day and uh, looking at the things that Matthew says as he writes to Christians who came from a Jewish background and writes to them about things that are significant about Jesus in regard to his Old Testament roots. And so um, as we celebrate Christmas, uh, it's appropriate for us to look back at the Old Testament to see where Jesus came from and, and that this was no insignificant history, um, that the Old Testament is not disconnected from Jesus and who he is and what he was accomplishing as he came to this earth. So if you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, um, you can uh, start here. Um, number one, God alerts us 
here in this passage that with Christmas, with Christmas or with the birth of Jesus is what we're saying, with Christmas, Jesus coming to earth, the kingdom of God got up and running again. Uh, Matthew reviews for us here that the kingdom of God had been. Uh, David was king, and that's emphasized for us. Look there in verse 6. He doesn't just say that David was part of the genealogy, but he says King David was, and Jesse the father of King David. And then the genealogy of Jesus goes down through the king's of Israel and Judah, first Solomon, and then the first king of just Judah after the kingdom divided was Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And then it walks down through until the time of the exile. And then it even alerts us to the fact that when exile happened, even though no king again took the throne in Jerusalem after that time, uh, that um, yet the line of the kingdom, the line of David was preserved. And so, uh, as it says in verse 12, uh, Jeconiah, who's also, uh, his other name is Jehoiachin, more commonly known as Jehoiachin, um, that he was the father of Shealtiel. And if you know um, uh, uh, the, uh, Ezra, um, you know Shealtiel's a big name, and that is the people come back from exile. And Zerubbabel is a big name in uh, Ezra 1, and, and then um, Haggai, who writes uh, as the people come back from exile. These were, and the reason why Shealtiel and Zerubbabel are big names when people come back from exile is because they were the ones who were in the kingly line. And in fact, uh, Haggai, and at the end of Haggai, which is only two chapters, uh, God, uh, through Haggai, says to Zerubbabel, Behold my signet ring, I give it to you. Um, God hands the kingship again to um, the line of David and to Zerubbabel there. Zerubbabel doesn't take up the kingship. We don't know why. Scripture doesn't comment on that. But that was God's uh, command to Zerubbabel to take up the kingship again. But even after Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel doesn't, say that six times fast, Zerubbabel, um, uh, that line is preserved till we get to um, Joseph. And, and you see in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 20, if you look down there with Joseph and, and his dream, the angel says to Joseph, addresses Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. So this is Matthew again, emphasizing the fact that Jesus was a, a son of David, as he had emphasized in verse 16, which says that Joseph was a descendant of David and that Joseph was the father of Jesus, who is the Christ. And we'll talk about how the Christ was the king. And those uh, terms are virtually uh, synonymous um, so we even get to chapter two, if you want to flip the page, if you need to, or just look over, depending on your Bible, uh, chapter two, verse one, Matthew emphasizes this again, that Jesus is, is a descendant of David, therefore someone to be king. Um, Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, chapter two, verse one, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, this is probably the same group of people who are around Nebuchadnezzar who couldn't interpret the dream that Daniel could. Magi was the term that described them. Uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem from Babylon, most likely, and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? That's why they were interested, because a king had been born. We saw his star in the east and have come 
to worship him. This is very interesting. We looked at last last week, um, Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And Daniel has this vision at night, and, and God reveals to Daniel these kingdoms that will come. And he says, right now you're in this, this kingdom of Babylon, and he's got an animal that represents each kingdom. You know, lion and, and bear and, and leopard and, and such, and then this awful uh, beast that comes around. And so he, he walks through Babylon and then Persia, which Daniel would experience both of those kingdoms. And then, and then he goes to Greece and then to Rome, who's this awful beast. But in the midst of this Roman kingdom in Daniel 7, uh, 13 and 14, Daniel says, And in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. He, and he was coming with the clouds of heaven. And Daniel envisions Jesus' own ascension into heaven uh, that the apostles would see in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, when Jesus ascended into heaven in front of them. And Daniel says, In my vision he approached the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and was led into his presence. And then he, he says to them that, that Jesus was given authority and glory, and a kingdom. Peoples, all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, not like Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, that will never fade away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in the midst of Rome... Daniel didn't know it would be called Rome, but he knew this kingdom would come about. In the midst of it comes this new kingdom that will never be destroyed, which is the kingdom of Christ, led by the king, that the Magi came from the east, where Daniel had been. Uh, the Magi come from the east to worship this king. And so we see Daniel come around here, don't we? This new king whose kingdom would never be destroyed Peoples, all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him, Daniel saw before. And so with Christmas, Jesus coming to the earth, Jesus' kingdom, or the kingdom of God, got up and running again. It hadn't been up and running since the days of Jehoiachin, you know, around 600 B.C., but it gets up and running again and it is up and running today as Jesus has ascended. He has approached the Ancient of Days. He came into heaven with the clouds of heaven, was led into his presence. And all men, through the going out of the gospel, through the spread of the gospel to all nations, have come to worship him. All peoples, all nations, men of every language. Um, and Jesus has this kingdom that will not be destroyed. So we sing of this at Christmas time. We recognize this kingly inf in, uh, emphasis in Scripture. We say, glory to the newborn king. Yeah. Um, so with Christmas, Jesus coming to earth, the kingdom of God got up and running. Number two, number two, we uh, recognize here from this passage. Jesus is properly king over God's people who is the church. Jesus is king, properly king over God's people, the church. Thus, the genealogy. God said in, in 2 Samuel 7, after he had anointed David as his choice for king in 1 Samuel 
16. Not Saul, who was the people's choice for king. He won the people's choice award um, there, the, the lesser kingship. Uh, but, but the Lord chose David. And this is not a choice that we would have made. It's not a choice that Samuel would have made. Samuel sees the oldest son, the, 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 the strongest, maybe the tallest, and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Um, the word there, the Lord's anointed, is Messiah. That's the, the Hebrew word for anointed, is Messiah. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. It means king, okay, because you anointed a king. And, and no, not this one. It goes through all painstakingly, right, the seven sons. And Samuel boldly says, he doesn't doubt himself and say, well, uh, maybe it was Eliab. He turns to Jesse with no solution known to him and says, the Lord has not told me that any of these are to be anointed. Do you have any other sons? Because the Lord sent me to your house, Jesse, to anoint the new king. And he's not here. And Jesse says, well, yeah, there's David, the youngest. And Samuel anoints David as king. Now that scene there is John the Baptist with Jesus. That, that, that prefigures that. Um, that's what John the Baptist is doing, baptizing Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be washed of his sins. John the Baptist is a little himself confused as to why he's doing it. Jesus knows. Uh, Jesus had made Samuel uh, uh, um, anoint David as king. And so Jesus, the son of David, is being anointed as king. And as uh, uh, John the Baptist anoints uh, uh, Jesus as king, the Spirit of God comes down upon Jesus just like it came upon David in 1 Samuel 16. And we're supposed to get that. Um, and just as the, the, the king and David was declared to be the son of God, lower lowercase s, human being who is God's special son, so is Jesus declared the Son of God upon his baptism by John the Baptist. Not only divine Son of God from all eternity, but now Son of God who is king over the people, Son of David, uh, uppercase S and lowercase S both. But Jesus is properly the king of God's people. And this is what Matthew is letting Jews who have believed in Jesus know. You have not abandoned your faith. You've had your faith realized. The king you were waiting as a, for as a good Jew has come, and it was Jesus. You are right to believe in Jesus, and you are right to understand him as your king because he is descended from David, and he is chosen by God. Even the Babylonians recognized it, and they came from the east to recognize the king God had chosen that he, was about, that he would anoint about 30 years later by John the Baptist to start serving as king. So A in your outline there, because Jesus is a descendant of David's kingly line. And so here are passages in Matthew, all these little things here, we're not going to go, don't worry, we're not going to go through each one of those one verses, but if you want a good Bible study, these are all verses where um, uh, Jesus is, uh, his kingship is related, the kingship of David is related to Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew. These are all the places where Matthew does this, at least uh, uh, some of them there where we see David mentioned and that being an emphasis that Jesus is David's son. B, um, Jesus is properly king over God's people, the church, because God anointed him, anointed him as king, making him 
the Christ. And so we saw this anointing of Jesus as king in chapter 3 of Matthew, where Matthew is showing the Jews that Jesus was anointed as king, this son of David. Jesus was anointed as king just as David, just as Solomon, just as all those in David's kingly line had been anointed as kings to lead God's people. Um, and so Jesus, Jesus is properly king over God's people, the church, um, because he did, as he's a descendant of David, and he was the anointed descendant of David. Um, you know, not all David's sons became king, only Solomon. Okay, and so out of all David's descendants, Jesus was anointed to be king by John the Baptist. Okay, um, now a little note for you there: Christ uh, is the Greek, and Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is a Greek word. It's not an English word. It's a Greek word. And Messiah is a Hebrew word, not an English word. Um, and they both mean anointed one. Anointed. That's with one N. I, I struggled over that for about 10 years. Uh, A-N-O. Um, anointed one. And so when people, when you see in your Bibles, people say, could this be the Messiah? That's just, that's a, that's a word we could have said, could he be the king? Or could he be the Christ? Or when Jesus is called Christ or Jesus Christ, what that is, is King Jesus. Because there were three kinds of people, we talked about in Sunday school, who were um, anointed in offices in the Old Testament. Prophets, priests, and kings. And the New Testament people there during Jesus' day, they had priests. They were serving in the temple. Jesus rebuked them, okay? So they weren't looking for a priest. They weren't looking for a prophet either. John the Baptist was on the scene and he was universally recognized as a prophet, even among the Pharisees. Uh, they recognized John the Baptist as a prophet, but what they did not have was a king. They had a pseudo-Jewish Roman king, Herod, who was trying to kill Jewish people <laughs> in Bethlehem, right? And so they were looking for a king. So when people ask, could this be the Christ? They were literally saying, could this be the anointed one? And what they meant, could this be the one that will be anointed as king over us, God's people? And so I, I always shiver a little bit. Uh, and I want you to shiver a little bit too. When someone uses the term the Messiah or the Christ, because they treat that term as if, as if it's like this completely distinct, unique office that no one ever had before. And what the New Testament is saying, what New Testament people and Jews understood when Jesus was called the Christ and the Messiah is king. Jesus came to fulfill what the king was to his people, what David meant to his people and what any king, what any son of David meant to his people when he was walking faithfully in the Lord. The Lord distributed blessing to his people through a king. And we saw in Second Samuel 7 that God refers to the time of the judges and says, ever since my people got into this land, they've been oppressed. But no longer because now I am anointing a Messiah-in, that's the word used there in 2 Samuel 7, a Messiah-in, the verb of Messiah, you, David, and your son, Solomon, after you. And no longer will your people be oppressed. So long as they follow me, so long as they lead you and lead my people in faithfulness. 
Um, so know that Jesus is properly king of God's people, uh, a descendant of David's line, anointed or Messiah or Christ, uh, Christed, so to speak, um, to be king by God himself, by God's prophet, John the Baptist, whom God was speaking through. This is why John the Baptist says to his own disciples, don't follow me anymore. I'm not the king. Follow him. And so, so Andrew, you know, comes, comes after and, you know, Philip comes after Jesus and they follow him along. We see that in John 1 and John 2 there. They're John's disciples and they come and follow Jesus because John the Baptist recognizes this is the king. And John understands in that baptism, when God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, that was king language. John the Baptist, what you just did, is you just anointed the king. Because the king was the special son of God among God's people to lead God's people. Okay. So again, Jesus is divine son of God from all eternity. God has always been God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's always been that. Never a time when, there, when God was not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Always Jesus, the divine Son of God, but now taking on the role of the human representative over God's people through whom blessing would come, just like, Dave, just like through David. Okay? So double meaning there with the Son of God. Now number three, number three. God wants you to know that the kingdom of God and that uh, the kingdom of God and that Jesus is king. Those two things, the kingdom of God and that Jesus is king. Now, if you're talking about the kingdom of God and someone like King Manasseh, who is from David's line, that would not be good news because Manasseh was really sinful and lots of covenant curses come upon the people because of Manasseh's unfaithfulness. But these two things, the kingdom of God and that Jesus is king is, that's your blank, is the good news. The kingdom of God and that Jesus is king is the good news. And the good news is just the, um, uh, the English interpretation for the word gospel. Gospel just means good news, okay? Um, and so Matthew 4.23, Bob read that for you this morning. Here's what Matthew 4.23 says. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news... Now, as 21st century evangelicals, we would say the good news is that you can accept Jesus into your heart and have your sins forgiven. But that's not what, uh, what Jesus preaches. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you get your sins forgiven. But that's not what Jesus said the good news was. So I'll start this verse again. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom among the people. Jesus is very clear. The good news is the kingdom. Matthew 9, 35. Bob read this for us as well. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is the good news. And we're at a great disadvantage. We've talked about this before as American citizens. We hate kings. <laughs> That's why we're the United States and not a colony of, of, of Britain. We hate kings, right? Because if you get a bad king, it's really bad for you. You know, we don't want to pay taxes and give us our tea without tax. And so, but 
but we don't understand king, but this is something we have to understand as Christians. We have a sovereign ruler whose word goes. And we do not dispute it. We don't have a say in what the law is and how we live our lives. Jesus alone, sovereign ruler, monarch without a legislature. Monarch who is also judge. See, we don't trust that because human beings have sin natures. <laughs> and so we divide out ruling in our country. We, we have a king, president, executive, and we have a legislature, a group of people who can counteract a bad king. And then, and then we have judges who can say the legislature and the king, the legislature and the, and the, the president are going against their constitution and so they can cancel out what these two have done. And so it's checks and balances, right? Remember that from middle school and high school? Checks and balances. Um, but you don't need checks and balances if Jesus is your king. You want Jesus to be the judge. You want Jesus to be the, the, the executive, to be the king. You want Jesus to be the lawgiver, the law creator, the legislature, because he is good and he cares for you. He gives you laws that are for your good and that protect you and that lead you in a soul prosperity. He reigns over you and protects you with his angelic army, not the Marines, not the Navy, not, you know, not the army, but his angelic army protects you. He is king, goes out like David, and he fights Goliath. You want David as your king because he loves you and he kicks the tail of anyone who comes against you. And you want Jesus as your judge because your judge has taken all the punishment you deserve upon himself and he's fair and he will not punish sin twice. And he says of you as a believer, all your sin was punished. I took that punishment and there's no punishment left to give to you. So it's good that Jesus is judge and, and that he's the legislature and that he's our king as well. But we want to get this when we get at Matthew, especially, but all through the Bible, that Jesus is our king. And that's the primary thing. And Jesus presented the gospel as a kingdom and that he was king. Why did he say, hear the good news? The kingdom of God is at hand. Why was the kingdom of God at hand? Because the son of David, anointed to be king, was there. The kingdom had been re-upped. God had now finally anointed another son of David to lead his people, to protect them, to provide for them, to lead them into lives that would be good for them. And that was good news. And that's why Jesus presents the gospel, not as just merely the forgiveness of sins. That's part of it. The king made sure the temple was up and running in the Old Testament so you could get your free sins forgiven. He made sure the priests were provided for so that they could be offering your sacrifices. But Jesus, as the king, he provides for you completely. And he says, this is the good news, the kingdom of God. I'm here. So A, king and kingdom, referring to Jesus, is the big deal in the New Testament. Kingdom and king and kingdom referring to Jesus is the big deal in the New Testament. It occurs 204 times. Speaking of Jesus in the New Testament, 204 times is Jesus referred to as king or is there the kingdom of God 
the kingdom of Christ referred to 204 times in the New Testament, including 67 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. 67, so 204 times in the New Testament, referring to Jesus being king and Jesus having a kingdom, and then 67 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. Um, now, Jesus is referred to specifically as king, so just slice kingdom out of that. And just, Jesus is referred to as king in the Gospels 46 times. So if you look at all the verses that say king, and you you uh, uh, cancel out the verses that say King Herod, because that's not talking about Jesus, or some other king, uh, you wind up with uh, 46 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to or spoken of as being king. What we're doing is we're establishing for you how king and Jesus being king is the good news. And that's the big deal in the Bible, that Jesus is king. In contrast, see, in contrast, what we say in the 20th and 21st centuries, American evangelicals, we typically refer to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those are your two blanks. Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, good news, that is scriptural. So we're not off in that to say Jesus is Lord and Savior. But Lord and Savior as a phrase occurs just four times in all the Bible. New Testament, Gospel, all the Bible, we have that phrase four times, and all four times it's in 2 Peter. So it's only something that Peter says in his second letter. The Gospels don't say Lord and Savior. Paul never says Lord and Savior. Luke never says Lord and Savior. John never says Lord and Savior. Book of Revelation, no Lord and Savior. Jude, no Lord and Savior. James, no Lord and Savior. Now, is Jesus Lord and Savior? Yes, he is. But that phrase that we give prominence to as evangelicals, Lord and Savior, that's like a, a, a really a minimal four times. Jesus is referred to as King 46 and Lord in 7, 4. Okay, so that's over 11 times by math and two extra, remainder of two. Okay. <laughs> um, Savior and Lord, if you reverse the order, zero times. Just to, you know, to clear that, clear that up there. Um, your next line there, Jesus is referred to as Savior. Jesus is referred to as Savior in the Gospels just three times. 46 times he's referred to as King in the Gospels. 46 times Jesus is referred to king in the, as king in the Gospels. Three as Savior. Okay? And we give prominence. So is Jesus your Savior? Okay, that's biblical. Jesus is the Savior. But it's not the weight that Scripture gives. It's a skewed view of what the Bible is teaching us. If we see Jesus as Savior first... And this is because it may be in a line below here, but I'll say it now because it's in my head. Savior is just something the king does. We do have to say it later. We'll get to it. Um, so Lord and Savior is biblical, but it's much less the emphasis of Scripture. 204 times versus 4, if you take Lord and Savior, or, or, or uh, yeah, Lord and Savior, or 3, if you just take Savior by itself in the Gospels. 204 times Jesus referred to as king or Jesus as referred to having a kingdom. 
Now, number one, number one there under C, Jesus doesn't tell parables just to, to work this out even more. Jesus doesn't tell parables about a savior. Jesus tells parables about a king and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, right? His parables are about a kingdom. He says over and over, and we saw it, we saw it in Matthew 13, in those uh, two verses we read, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now listen, the kingdom is like. These are how most of Jesus' parables start out. The kingdom, this is what Jesus is teaching. The kingdom of heaven is like. He's not teaching parables about, here's how I'm your savior. Now Jesus is our savior, but that's not what Jesus is talking about when he teaches. His parables are about the kingdom. So Jesus doesn't tell parables about a savior, but about a king and the kingdom of heaven. Note two, note also, number two, that Lord, while often a designation for God, true, is often a synonym for king. So those are your blanks, synonym and king. Just keep that in mind. Lord is often a synonym for king. So you Shrek fans, what do you call our, you know, what do you call Lord Farquaad if you're helping him choose uh, which uh, queen he should take for himself? You say, you know, say three, my lord, right? Or, or sorry, say three, my lord. <laughs> you call, you know, think of that. Think medieval times. What do you call your king? You call him Lord. Recognize that in Scripture. This is done in Old Testament and New Testament. That one of the, the connotations when Scripture uses Lord versus using God or versus using Yahweh or some other description, when it says Lord, there's this connotation, there's this meaning that's brought in that he is your master, that he's your king, that he's the lawgiver, that he's the one that you have to give an account to. So recognize when you read the New Testament that when it says Lord Jesus, it's talking, yes, he's divine, but also he is your king. That's what's being brought in there. The Lord, the term Lord, while often a designation for God, um, is often a synonym for king. Um, so even when we say Lord and Savior, we're saying king and Savior. Or maybe even properly in our understanding, king who saves me. This is what your king does. That's what the Old Testament is declaring to us. If you have a faithful king like David, what's he do? He saves you. You're shaking at the knees because Goliath is threatening you. And he says, I'll take him on. The Lord is with me. That means Emmanuel, by the way. David says, the Lord is with me. He always protects me. I've killed a lion and a bear. And this guy's defying God, which the lion and the bear weren't. So the conclusion is foregone. I will defeat this uncircumcised Philistine, for he's taunting the armies of the living God. Um, your king saves you. And so David spends his whole lifetime defeating every enemy that comes to harm you as God's people there in Israel, if you're an Israelite during that time. Likewise, number three, likewise note that Christ, Christ is a designation for king as well, as we talked about earlier, as the king was the anointed one. 
So recognize the, the great, great, great prominence of king. Even when the scriptures use the synonym Lord, it means king. Even when the scriptures use the synonym Christ to speak of Jesus, it means king. Or the synonym Messiah, it means king. Because the king was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. We see this with Christ meaning king uh, in the common understanding uh, as Jesus was mocked or tried. Uh, in the mocking of Jesus in Mark uh, 15, verse 32, as Jesus is on the cross, listen to what the, the mockers say. Let this Christ, the king, let this Christ, this king of Israel, come down now from the cross. See what they do there? That's a, that's an appositive in English. The postman Pete. The postman comma Pete. This is, let this Christ, this king, come down off the cross. They're defining what they mean by Christ. Mark is writing to Romans, Gentiles, and so he defines the term Christ for them. What did that mean when Jews at the, at the cross of Christ said, let this Christ come down from the cross? He meant, and Mark inserts it there, he meant, let this Christ, the King, come down off the cross. Uh, of course, we've got the King of the Jews written above Jesus there at the cross. Or listen to how the accusers from the Jews accused Jesus before Pilate. The Jewish leaders began to accuse Jesus before Pilate, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. That's a lie. We know that in several instances. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, comma, a king. So the Jews explained to Pilate that Jesus claims to be Christ or anointed one, and that means a king. And they know that's going to get Jesus in trouble under, under charges of treason that Jesus is a rival king to Caesar, and so they bring it up. They're upset that Jesus is claiming that he's Christ or king, but they know that will you know, bring up a little bit of more, more ire or threat to Pilate as well. So Lord means king, Christ means king, because they refer to this kingship aspect of Jesus. Now, number four, number four, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God with Jesus as king, and the fact that you can belong to it, which is now re-upped at Christmas time, re-upped with the coming of Jesus, is good news. So now we're going to uh, look at that. Why is that good news that Jesus is king and that the kingdom of God is re-upped? Why is Jesus saying the kingdom of God is the good news? Um, well, one, because the kingdom of God, or A there, because the kingdom of God is valuable. Jesus emphasizes this in, in those two uh, quick parables that Jesus gives of the treasure in the field and the pearl that's beautiful and big, the pearl of great price. They're valuable. Somebody finds in a field a treasure, and so he sells all that he has, everything he has to buy the field, because everything he has is not as much money as what's in that treasure. And whatever's in the field, when you buy the field, becomes yours. And so he finds the treasure in the field, he reburies it. <laughs> and he goes to the unsuspecting owner of the field, having sold all that he has, and he buys the field. What's Jesus communicating? The kingdom is valuable. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like 
a man who finds a treasure in a field, who sells all that he has to have that treasure. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's valuable. It's worth selling everything you have to belong to it. Or the same thing, the pearl. You know, the one goes, sells everything he has to have that pearl. So know that the kingdom of God, this is good news because the kingdom of God is valuable. Now, why is it valuable? B, um, uh, this is good news because Jesus is king. Jesus, because it's King Jesus saves his people from their sins. That's why the kingdom of heaven and belonging to it is valuable to you and to any person who would belong to it by coming to Jesus, by saying, Jesus, you be my king. I want to be a part of your kingdom because Jesus saves his people from their sins. If you're still in Matthew 1, just look down there and, and, and see the angel's words to, to Joseph, son of David. He says to, to Joseph there in, in verse 21, she will give birth to a, to a son and you are to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And this is why the kingdom of God is valuable. This is why Jesus is your king is valuable because his going to the cross and being your king means your sins get forgiven. Okay, so the kingdom of God is good news because Jesus saves his people from their sins. So a little bit about this. Number one there in your outline, outside the kingdom of God will be punishment for not using life to the glory of God. Uh, Isaiah says, uh, God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 43 that he's created people for his glory. And so when a person goes through his life and hasn't gone through his life, using his life to bring glory to God, there will be punishment. Uh, Jesus speaks of himself as being king. And he talks about those who have spurned his invitation to his feast. So Jesus is king and he's thrown this feast and people are too busy to come to it. And those people who are too busy to come to it were the Jews of Jesus' day. And people today and people since Jesus' day who were too busy for Jesus. Well, I'm busy. I'm doing this and that. I'm more interested in these other things. I've got other things to do on a Sunday morning. I've got other things to do than to, to worry about following Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to these people who spurn the invitation to come to him and to feast with him in the new heavens and new earth. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Right? This is what Peter describes in 2 Peter 3 when Jesus returns. All the earth will be burned up. Uh, he burned their city, the city of man, so to speak. Then the king told the atten his servants tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's good news that the kingdom is here and that we have a king who's invited us to his feast, to his banquet, because outside his kingdom, there's just punishment for our living our lives, uh, not to his glory. And then in contrast, number two, inside, inside the kingdom of God, the son of David, Jesus dispenses mercy. Inside the kingdom, the, those who are the citizens of the king, 
citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20, those who are citizens of the king are receiving mercy. The king, what does he do? What does the son of David do? He has mercy. He has mercy on us now in our lives and for our eternity. So in Matthew 9, 27, 15, 22, 20, verse 30 and 31, those are the exclamations of people who say, Son of David, have mercy on me. In those three passages, that's where we see that. People recognize Jesus as Son of David, and they say, Son of David, have mercy on me. And this is why the kingdom of God with David, the son of David as king, is so important for us because if you're inside the kingdom, you have God's mercy and not his wrath. And so it's good news that Jesus came. It's good news that the kingdom got re-upped because inside the kingdom, the mercy of God is being dispensed by Jesus, the son of David, our king. So three here, three. Um, Jesus saving, this is what we were, I mentioned earlier, Jesus saving is part of his being king. That's why we say it's fine to call Jesus Savior. Scripture calls him Savior three times in the Gospels. So that's biblical. But Jesus calls, Jesus, or the Scripture calls Jesus King way more. And why is that? It's because the King saves his people. The King proclaims God's law to God's people. The King enforces God's law among the people. The king protects God's people. All these things. Jesus protects you from final judgment. Jesus protects you from your sin nature by giving you his spirit so that you can walk in his ways, so that you don't destroy your life and the life of others. But one of these jobs that Jesus has is being your eternal savior. Being a savior of the people is part of being king. And so we see reference to King David in verse 6 of chapter 1, and then that uh, Jesus is Savior of the people. He will save his people from his sins, 121 there. Um, so A, saving the people was the king's job. That's A there. Um, and we saw that in, in 1 Samuel um, 16. Um, and then uh, 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 12. Um, God says to David, you know, part of your being king is that my people will not be oppressed anymore. Oppressed by our sin natures, oppressed by our walking in, in, in the ways of the world, will be no more as we follow Jesus. That's part of the, the king's job, to save the, to save the people. One of the many beneficial things the king does for his people. And then um, uh, B, God's people are saved by the king. God has chosen for them, David and his sons. So then just again, emphasizing particularly, um, this is one who comes from David. And so we sing about Bethlehem. We sing about, you know, the, the, the one from David having come. Uh, we'll sing a, a, af, after this about the rod of Jesse, the key of David, uh, as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because Jesus comes from David um, to, to save us. Um, and so why, why are the, the Magi excited? Uh, why is everybody in a stir for the king? It's because that's what they needed. The king would save them. The Jews thought at the time, at the first Christmas, that the king would save them from Roman oppression in the sense of a civil kingdom. And Jesus is crucified because he rejects the idea that he would just serve as a human king over one nation of people in one geographical place, Jerusalem, 
and the promised land. Instead, Jesus' intent and what Jesus comes to do is much grander than that. He comes to take the throne at the right hand of God in heaven and to serve as king over people, like Daniel said, over all peoples, all nations, and men of every language. Jesus in his ascension takes a greater kingship, and so we rejoice over that at Christmas time. Now, number five, number five. Um, note here that the kingdom of God is not just here. It's not just universal for everyone. That is, it's not, that's your word there. You're, it's not something uh, everyone is part of. And in fact, most aren't. Most aren't. The kingdom of God must be entered. Uh, now, this is something that can even be, that I even hear as an error around good people who believe the scriptures well and even in our own denomination. Sometimes people say, the kingdom of God is wherever good is being done. Or wherever, you know, it's like you do a good deed and there's the kingdom of God expanding. But that's not the way Jesus talks. Like if the Christians build a hospital, that's great. If Christians build a hospital to love their neighbor, that's wonderful. But that's not the expansion of the kingdom of God when that hospital is built. Because Jesus, the prominent thing, I went through all of Matthew, everywhere where it says David, king or kingdom, and I categorized everything there about what is talked about when kingdom and king is being talked about. And the primary thing, the thing that gets the most verses devoted to it is Jesus talking about entrance. Entrance into the kingdom or being shut out of the kingdom. Or in the case of Jews who would reject him, cast out. Cast out of the kingdom. Jews during Jesus' day were in the kingdom. They were in God's people. But as soon as they rejected Jesus being presented with who he was, they were cast out of the kingdom. And that's the primary thing that Matthew is communicating to Jewish Christians of his day and to other Jews who are interested in hearing about Jesus. That you're, you have to enter into Christ's kingdom. You are no longer in the kingdom of God by virtue of just being a Jew. And the Gentiles as well can enter into the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Um, so A there, Jesus prominent, prominent, that's your word. Jesus prominent topic about the kingdom of heaven he doesn't say a whole lot in terms of the content about how you should act in the church or how you should do this or how you should do that. His primary teaching on the kingdom of heaven is entrance. Entrance. Um, entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Um, uh, so the, the, your sentence reads, Jesus' prominent topic about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is that it must be entered. And here are all the verses where he talks about entering the kingdom of heaven in the gospel of Matthew. Um, and then he says, B, um, among other places, Matthew 7, 13. It's in your uh, declaration of the gospel this morning. Um, Most don't enter into the kingdom, Jesus said. Most don't enter. And again, this is Matthew's explanation for Jews who had accepted Jesus as their king. He said, don't be alarmed that most of your brother and your brothers, uh, brothers and sisters who are Jewish have rejected Jesus. Don't be alarmed. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate for uh, wide is the gate and uh, broad is the path. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. 
That's the emphasis there. Many enter through it, the broad road, the wide gate. And that's the gate that leads to destruction. And then he says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So that's the kingdom of God. It's this kingdom where only a few are entering through this small gate, this narrow road. Most are on the wide, the broad road. Most are entering through the wide gate. And so the kingdom of God is not everywhere. Jesus didn't die for everyone. He came to save his people. This narrow group of people who would enter through the gate. Jesus declares himself the gate in John 10. People who would enter through this narrow gate of Jesus. They're the ones who are part of the kingdom of God. Only those who have Jesus as their king are part of the kingdom of God. Get it? It's a real kingdom. It's spiritual today. Uh, when Jesus comes back, it'll be spiritual and physical and, and all over the earth. Um, but the kingdom of God is defined by who has Jesus as their king, who has God, the second person of the Trinity, as their king. So most don't enter it, Jesus said, and uh, see Jesus' word throughout the gospel of Matthew and, and the other gospels. If you haven't entered it, entered it yet, Jesus says, enter. It's open to everybody. It's open to the prostitute. It's open to the tax collector. It's open to the Roman centurion. It's a free entrance. Just because the, the gate is, is small and the road is narrow, it doesn't mean that anybody can get on it. Anybody can get on it. It's just what most people aren't doing. So as a Christian, as you go into your, your classroom or your job or your, your neighborhood, I know you feel odd. And Jesus says, and that's as it should be. And that's how it will be. Because most people are on the broad road that leads to destruction. Don't think that democracy determines eternal life. If everybody voted on how you had eternal life, well, those, those people voting on not Jesus, that's the majority. Those are all the people on the broad road. Those are all the people who entered through the wide, most entered through it, Jesus said. But only a few enter through the small gate that leads to life. But if you haven't entered it yet, just because it's small, doesn't mean you can't enter. Anyone can enter, regardless of their background. Again, men of, men of every, you know, all nations, all peoples, men of every language. Prostitutes, tax collectors, Roman centurions during a day when the Romans were hated by the Jews. They're all welcome into Jesus' kingdom. And then D, lastly, if you've already entered into the kingdom of God, which is most of you here, rejoice. Rejoice. This is good news. You have a king over you who is defending and protecting you, who's giving you your, his law for your life so that you can live in blessing. Who's going to defend, he's going to, he's not only king, but the king is the final judge. He's the judge you will face and he's already died for you. And that's good news to be in the kingdom of the king who's died for all his people. The king who's faced the Goliath of death and defeated it. So rejoice for you who have entered through the, the small gate, uh, the narrow path of Jesus. As we sang last week, good Christian men and women rejoice with heart and soul 
and voice. For your king, that's your blank there, your king, the son of David, Jesus, has saved you and at final judgment will save you, body and soul, by his mercy. When you came to faith, you said, whether those were probably not your words, you said, hold on, don't put your pins away and you're all that stuff. I'm still talking. Okay. Um, when you, you, uh, when, uh, when you came to faith, you said, son of David, have mercy on me. That's what you were doing. And that's why we rejoice at Christmas time that the son of David, this kingly descendant came to save his people from their sins. You were his people before you knew it. He came to die for you and to bear your sins in his body on the cross before you knew it. And then he sent his spirit to give you eyes to see so you'd receive him, so you'd come into his kingdom. Rejoice at that. Think about that this Christmas. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are grateful that you love us and that out of your love for us, Father, you have given us a king that we would not be oppressed anymore by our own sin nature or by the devil who is prowling about seeking us to devour. But instead, you have chosen, Father, which we didn't merit. You chose to show mercy on us through the great son of David, Jesus, cause us to rejoice. And even though we feel funny in this life because most are on the, the wide, the broad road that leads to destruction, and it feels like everybody's going a different way. You have declared and given us faith that even though the gate is small and only a few find it, that this is the gate that leads to life. Would you cause our hearts to rejoice? Would you cause us to be grateful to you, to you for this, especially at this Christmas time when we think about you coming to earth to save us, your people, from our sins. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now let's sing of this, this uh, son of David who's come to save us as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Please stand.